part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Are you a private person? You know, there's different levels of privacy. Some people are very, very, very private. You don't want anybody else knowing your business. You, you take great lengths to, to hide that, to, uh, to kind of keep that to yourself. Other people are a little bit more giving. They'll tell you things that you never even really wanted to know about them. And so we're on different spectrums there. But for the most part, most of our pretty private people. Um, are you the type of person that's pretty suspect even when you're filling out something like uh, the doctor's information? our store, and you're going, I really don't want to give that information to these people, even though you're kind of there in need of their service. Or I know some people that they're never going to have Google or Alexa in their house because they really are fearful that they're listening to us. They, they know what we're doing, you know, they're keeping records of all this. We all have different levels of privacy. And if you answered yes to that question, that you're a pretty private person, you're actually in the majority. Most of us tend to be much more private than we are just out there public. And for the most part, all this um, uh, privacy stuff is, is, is really personal to us, and, and we don't want to share it with others, whether that's the government, whether it's on the, net, uh, the Internet, medical records, our personal finances, anything like that. We just kind of keep our stuff to our stuff, and we're very protective of that. Well, if that's you, and you really are one of these extremely private people, uh, maybe at first you're going to be a little bit disturbed by Psalm 139. Because basically, let me just sum up the whole psalm in, in just one phrase. God knows everything about you. And it's one of those things that we're going to go as we go through that, okay, there's no hiding anything from God. And that can either freak us out or it can give us great comfort. And so we're going to look through what David wrote about this. Now, if there was anybody in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that were going, okay, man, his life is an open book, it's kind of David. We know a lot about David. We know his great successes. We really know a lot about his failures, too. And so if there's just a person that we feel like we kind of know already, it's David. And David writes this psalm about God's great knowledge about him. We see that even in the opening verses. Look at verses 1 through 4. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Intimidating? Are comforting. I mean, when somebody knows your business, especially the words before they even come out, the thoughts. I mean, I would suspect that there's some people here that have been married. How many people have been married 40 plus years? Carly and I are just about there. Okay. And I imagine there are still some things that the one does not know about the other. That They're just in that hidden you know, part of your mind. Okay, I hope that she... He never finds out about that. And you don't have to be married for 40 years. I'm just saying, even experience. I imagine there's many that are married here 10, 20, 5, 
25 years, I go, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that my wife, I'm glad my husband doesn't know my every thought. But David goes, God knows everything. He knows my coming and my going. My, when I stand up, uh, things that are of great importance, things that seem like they're not really all that important, God knows everything. And if that overwhelms you this morning, then join the crown because David said that it overwhelmed him. Look down at verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. He said, okay, even though there's a part of me that can mentally somewhat grasp this, I really can't grasp it. That God would know every single detail of my life, every fiber of my thoughts, every fiber of my being, everything about me, that God knows everything. And it kind of blows the whole Santa Claus thing away, doesn't it? Did that ever freak you out when you were little? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been pat or good, so... Exactly. I can tell you how many times I ended up not fighting with my sister because of that very premise. You know, you're just right there and you just want to kind of, well, no, he may be looking. And I want good toys. I don't want coal in the stocking. And just this thought that maybe there is this Santa out there that really knew if I had been bad or good. Well, what David begins to describe about God so far surpasses anything that we could imagine about Santa. Now, please don't think that God is like some big, major, amplified Santa Claus. He's not. He is holy God. He is righteous in all that he does. He is the creator and the ruler of the world and of all things. So look how David begins to describe God's inescapable knowledge. And I use that word and that phrase, inescapable, on purpose. And we'll, we'll detail that a little bit later. But it's the knowledge that God has, we don't have the ability to escape from. We can't hide. I mean, there's certain things. You cannot have Google or Alexa in your house. You can, you know, not put your social security number on certain forms. There's a lot of things you can do that kind of give you privacy and, and keep detailed information about yourself in this society away from others. But, but God doesn't fit into that category. Everything that you are, everything that you are in your being, every thought that you have, every feeling that you have, he already has knowledge of. Uh, look how David describes it. How far-reaching this is, verse 7 through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Somehow, instead of being intimidated, by the time we get to verse 10, it, it actually sounds like David is encouraged by this. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I think we're going to side on either that intimidation side or that comforting side. I mean, if you just took the fact that God knows every thought that you had last week, intimidating or comforting? That everything you looked at on the Internet... God knows. And intimidating or comforting? The time you almost got caught, 
But it didn't escape God. God knows it all. Now, I want you to also know that David very much is going to give us a premise. This, this is not just a God who's really good at keeping notes. He has past knowledge and he has foreknowledge of everything about your life. And we're going to see that in the verses that come. So this isn't just God going, okay, I'm taking notes here. This isn't, you know, I know if you've been bad or good. No, we're going to see in the rest of this that God knows everything about us. There at the beginning, he'll be there at the end. Nothing escapes God. And we can't escape him. It says in verse 2 that he discerns from afar. Every word is, that's on my tongue is there together. In, in one way, it makes it really seem futile when it comes to, uh, like Adam, who tried to hide from God. I, I mean, do you remember? I, I know I probably just skipped back. There you go. Uh, can, can you imagine the garden? How in one way theologically ridiculous it is that after they fell, Adam and Eve, they go off, and Adam's hiding in the garden. Here comes God. And God asks these two questions. Adam, where are you? And basically, why are you hiding? And he knows the answer to both. We're going, is that cruel? No, it's just God acknowledging that he already has knowledge. Parents, you might have done this before. Okay, you know, I mean, there's chocolate all over the kid's face. Who got into the cookies? Not me. You know. And yet you're giving opportunity for what? For them to incriminate themselves? No, for them to acknowledge truth. When Adam go, when God goes to Adam and says, okay, where are you? Adam, where are you? He knows where Adam is. Why are you hiding? He knows. And he's not trying to further incriminate Adam. Adam's already incriminated, guys. God wants Adam to know that he fell. This knowledge that God has of us, it's either going to be intimidating or it's going to be comforting. Notice the tone there in verse 10. Even when your hand shall lead me, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Leading and holding are endearing words. If we're going to lead somebody, if we're going to hold somebody, that's not intimidating. That's usually endearing. So somehow, all this knowledge that God has of David has not intimidated David, even though David had a lot of things that he really wanted to keep secret, that he really did want to hide from anyone and anybody, especially God. But when he acknowledges that God knows everything about him, instead of running away from God, he actually is endeared by that. And you and I, We'll make a decision this morning. We will make a decision this morning on two things in this context of this passage. Number one, deciding if we believe it to be true. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you it's truth. God's already said it is true. So it is true. We're not trying to decide if it's true, you know, out there in, in the, the whole chasm of the whole world. No. Do you personally believe that it's true? Do you really believe that there's a God who knows everything about you? Just as David described. The second thing, second question, you and I will decide how we're going to respond to that. 
If this is going to be frightening information or if this is going to be comforting information. In one way, if there's ever a guy, again, that just wanted to keep things secret, it would have been David. His lustful thoughts about Bathsheba, the details of his adulterous affair with her, the plotting and the manipulation that he went when he was really murdering her husband. I mean, there's a lot of things going on inside, the, inside of David that maybe others couldn't see, but God knew. And in one way, if you had all of that, those lustful thoughts, this uh, adulterous affair, and now murder, I mean, is that something you just want to share openly with other people? Or is there a certain shame that you have with that? You don't want anybody ever to find out. But he acknowledges that God knows everything about him. And instead of running away, he actually runs to God. Bobby, maybe you're just misinterpreting what he said in verse 10. How do we know that that's actually endearing? Well, look at verse 11 and 12. He gives kind of like another example that could be taken to be, okay, we don't want to see God. We don't want God to see what goes on in the dark. But look what he says, verse 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. Now, what is he saying there? Kind of sounds poetic. Is he trying to be poetic? Remember, this is a psalm. It's a song that they would sing. So there is a, an amount of poetry to it. But basically, you could take this in one of two ways. Okay, God, I try to hide things in the dark, but I can't hide anything from you because you are light and you shine light on the darkness. Another way to look at this, though, and I think it really goes with the text, is that David says, man, even in my darkest days, your light is there. Either one will fit this text. One is a confession, and one is a hope. One is a confession, I can't hide anything from you. Even when I tried to do it in the dark, God, you know. But I think it really favors, the text favors this second interpretation that, okay, God, even in the darkness, a darkness that I brought onto myself, you are the light. Why? Because you are light. Intimidating or encouraging? Frightening or comforting? Do you believe this to be true about the God that you know? that he knows everything about you. And how will you respond? How will you personally, each one of us individually, how will we respond to that truth and that knowledge? So we come back to the two previous questions. Is it true? How will we respond? Is, are we going to be frightened? Are we going to be comforted? For David, who had much to hide... This truth is comforting to him. Look at verse 17. He uses a phrase that we usually don't associate with most men. David, I believe, was a manly man. I, think, I mean, he was nice looking, the Bible tells us. He was heroic in war and all these things. And so he's, this is the guy that has a certain macho nature to himself. And yet, look at the word that he uses in verse 17. How precious. I told you before, I, I use the word precious once every five years. 
more often now that I have grandchildren than ever before. But what does David say here? Okay, he, he's entertaining this thought that God knows everything about him. That, is, that there's not even a thought that he has that God doesn't know. And then he says, how precious to me are your thoughts. Is this knowledge that you have, oh God, how vast is the sum of them. Was he just not a private person? Is he one of those that would just share openly all these things? Or is there something that this knowledge that God has of him, even in all of his sinfulness, all the things that he messed up, all the things that just went awry, that David feels, okay, God, you know all these things, and yet somehow it is still comforting me that you have this knowledge in me. Guys, there's going to be two things when you mess up next time. And that may be as early as this afternoon. It may be as, as early as tomorrow morning that you're going to mess up. And I want you to know this. God not only knows that, he's not just recording history. Oops, I saw that, Q. <laughs> and he already knew that. He already knew it. You're not going to surprise God. Have you ever been surprised by somebody's failure or something? You know, man, that's the last person in the world that I would ever have thought, fill in the blank. And total surprise. You're going to, I just never would have thought. God's never said that, and He never will. God's never going, wow, Ricky, that's surprising to me. He knows everything, guys. Past, present, future. This is an all-knowing God. This is really important for us to understand. As we entertain that decision or those, answer those two questions, is this really truth? Is this really who God is? And what am I going to do? How do I respond that this God has all knowledge of me? David says, how precious to me are your thoughts. Now look at verse 13 through 15. Go back just a little bit. He begins to talk about God and this knowledge, not in an informational way, but in an intimate way. How can he get to the place where he's not intimidated by God knowing all these things about him, but he actually sees this as something favorable? It's because he knows that this knowledge that God has for him basically, intrinsically, is intimate knowledge. And look how he describes this intimacy of this knowledge. Verse 13 through 15. For you formed my inward parts. Is that pretty intimate? You knit it me together in my mother's womb. Is that pretty intimate? I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I don't just know this mentally. I'm not just having some synapses that connect here. I know this deep within me. Remember the first question this morning? Do you believe this to be true? I would think Guys, that it's not just something that we intellectually go, I believe this to be true about my God. Here's my theology on the knowledge of God. You know where I think that we really understand that? Yes, we can have those synapses. We can have those beliefs. But you know, I think that being made in God's image, part of that is that we're going to know deep down in the soul that this is the God who is. Does that make sense? That it's not just something you learned in the third grade. 
and all of a sudden you put these facts together, but that somehow in our nature, the very nature of creation that God has made us, that he's put something within us to go, there is a God out there. And now he has told us who he is. He has revealed himself through the word. That's what I believe David is saying. I know this in my soul. How does he know it? Very well. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now God, I mean, David could have expressed God's power in, in terms of might. You are mightier than a thousand armies. You are more powerful than a million chariots. You are bigger than any bomb that man has ever created. He could have described God in all these very militaristic ways, these really amplified ways of great power. And yet, how does he describe God? In a personal way, God, you knit me together. There's one thing that we really, really want to share this year in VBS here, and then when we went to Utah, and especially in Utah. I know it was Jeff's heart, it's the leaders' hearts, it was Barry's and, and their hearts, that those 36 children that came throughout the week, that they would know this one thing, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that they are a wonderful creation of God. Well, Bobby, isn't it just kind of like, you know, you know, this culture that, you know, be proud of yourself, you be you. No, no, it's not that at all. When I know that I am purposely made, that I am made by the hand of God himself, and that he has brought purpose to my life, all of a sudden, this fact that he knows everything about me, every thought that I have, it's not intimidating, it's actually endearing. Because in all that knowledge, he says, Bobby, I love you. He knows all the dirt. He knows all the shame. He knows all the sin. And he says, I choose you. This is why it's comforting, guys. I mean, I don't know that I would feel that way with anybody else. I mean, listen to this. Listen to this. I don't know that I would feel that way with Carly. 38 years of marriage. Why? Because I don't know if she knew everything that she would say, I choose you. But my God has done that. Is that not amazing? That our relationship, if you knew everything about me, we don't choose you as pastor. (laughs) Get out of town fast. But this God who knows everything, I love you. Bobby, I choose you. And I sent my son, my only son, to die for you. Is this not incredible, guys? This is where David is, I believe. This is why when he's talking about this personal knowledge that God has for them, that it's an intimacy. I mean, please understand just the scientific part. Science people, when it says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you are. You're a masterpiece. I mean, that's one of the songs that, that we sing, VBS. I am God's masterpiece. From the tip of my head to 
bottom of my faith. I'm his masterpiece. Let me, let me just share with you, for the science people, they're kind of like, ooh, I like science. It's kind of like map people and chart people. Ooh, a chart. You know, it's like you get excited. So for the science people, your brain has 10 billion nerve cells to record what you see and hear. 10 billion. Somebody counted those. Some scientists are. Yeah. Your eyes have 100 million receptors. We call those rods and cones in each eye. Altogether, this system makes the equivalent of 10 billion calculations a second just for you to see something. You didn't know you were that smart, did you? Yeah, I got about 10 million things going, 10 billion things going on right now per second. Oh, God made it. If you are seeing something right now, if you can see, how many fingers do I have up? Man, right there, like 50 billion things just had to happen in your brain for you to do that. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And this truth is a comfort to David rather than being intimidated. But remember, God isn't just the recorder of history. He doesn't know just things as they happen or what has happened. He knows everything about the future. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What does that mean? God knows every day of your life. It's already predestined. No, Bobby, can you? Are you sure that God knows? He said it. If he has all past knowledge, present knowledge, and future knowledge, time is not a factor for God. That's what blows our mind. We, we live by time. This is July 10th. It's 10.50 right now. We, we are kind of obedient to time. It's, it's something that we have to deal with. God doesn't have to deal with time. He's eternal in nature. And his perspective is always eternal. And so when we begin to grasp it, he says, okay, how do you know even the number of your days, even as you're... Be informed in your mother's womb. I already know the days of your lives. And that's what David called precious. Right? Even though you know all these thoughts, you know all my bad stuff, you know all my junk, you know all the times that I've failed, that i thought about failing, you know all these different things, he sees the intimacy that God has for him. So two questions this morning. Do you believe in this God who knows everything about you, past, present, and future. Do you believe in a God who truly knows not just the things that people can see on the outside, but all the things that are going on in the inside? Because that's how God describes himself through his word. If you say, yes, I believe in that God, he knows everything, then the second question, How do you respond to it? How do you respond this morning to that kind of God? Here's how David responded. Go down to verse 23, 24. I hate that we can't cover every one of these verses. And believe me, since I didn't get to preach last week, I was tempted to keep you here to 12. But my wife is teaching in the back and she said she'd kill me if 
We stayed to 12. <laughs> she loves your kids, but just not two hours with you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Psalms 139, verse 23-24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I could stop right there. When was the last time I prayed that sincerely? Not since you know everything. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Now, he's not saying that as if he has to invite God in. He already has acknowledged that God already knows all this. So what is this that he's doing? He's just reaffirming, okay, God, I am an active participant. I'm an agreeable participant here. You're going to know my thoughts. Whether I invite you to know that or not. He's already acknowledged that in the opening. But now there's an attitude, guys. There's a heart here that says, will you search me? Will you try me? Will you know my heart? Mainly for the second part. And, if, and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. In other words, search me and try me and show me. Show me my heart. What a bold prayer. What a trusting prayer. How many of you would go up to your boss tomorrow? Hey boss, here's the 14 things I did in the last three months. I just want to come clean with you. Search me and try me. Show me my heart. Well, I don't need to. You're fired. Just by your own admission, you're fired. You're out of here. Why? Because somehow there's this distrust that somehow they're not going to act favorably. They're not going to, they we're going to lose our job if we're truly honest. But here's a guy who knows everything about you. Everything about you. And David has a heart. He says, God, will you show me my heart? Will you show me my heart? He invites God to search him and try him. And he does so because of redeeming truth. Guys, we'll finish with this. Listen, listen, listen. This God who knows all things, whose presence is indescribable from here to here to here and here, whose power is unlimited, loves you. He loves you. People have asked him, Bobby, why, why is Romans 5, 8 your favorite verse? Because to me, it, it just captures the gospel in, in one verse there. It's, it's been my favorite verse since I was a, a, a first became a Christian at 12. Romans 5, 8 has been my whole life. Because why? It tells me about my God. But it also tells me about me. What is Romans 5, 8? That God shows, he demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He saw me on my ugliest day. He saw me in my very worst. He saw David in the midst of an adulterous affair. He saw a murderous David and he says, David, I love you and I will send my son to die for you. I know everything about you and yet I choose you. 
Where else, guys, where else are you going to get that love? Where else are you going to get that kind of hope? This is the gospel. So two questions. Do you believe this to be true? Is this the God that you serve, that he knows all things? Then based on that answer, how do you respond? Intimidated and hiding? Or comfort in saying, God, thank you. That I can, I, can, I can confess my sin before you. Because you've already provided a way for me to have remedy for my sin. So in the darkness of night and the, the depth of my shame, I can come running to you and running to the cross and running to your answer, who is Christ Jesus. How do you respond this morning to a God knows everything about you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, this morning, uh, I don't know that this is brand new knowledge to us, Father. Maybe we already kind of knew this. And yet, Father, I pray that you will confront our hearts and our minds, our very spirits, in a fresh and new way. That even if we've known this since we were 14 or 20 or whatever age, that, Father, that whatever age we are, this day, this very hour, this very minute, Father, you would confront us with these two questions. Is this the God? Are you really this God who knows everything? And, God, how do we respond? Do we run to you because of this hope of the the gospel of Christ Jesus and that he is your answer and our greatest need? Father, do we just keep on running from you? Foolishly thinking like Adam that we can hide from you. Foolishly wondering if you really know everything that's going on in the depths of our hearts and our minds. So Father, today, help us just to come to you and say, God, thank you. Thank you. In all the complexity, Father, in all this complexity, it really is pretty simple. Father, you are so good and so good to us. And we love you and we thank you. We thank you for this word as we pray this in the hope that is God, that is Christ, that is the gospel, that is your perfect plan for the ages. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.